Hey, welcome everybody to this week's episode of Ministry Hangouts. And uh, I'm Greg Surratt, uh, pastor at Seacoast Church and also um, president of the ARC. And this week we're going to talk just a little bit about church planting. I'm excited about it. We have uh, a very august board of, uh, <laughs> that sounds boring, we've got a lot of good guys here uh, that um, have various leadership roles in uh, several of the church planting networks and organizations uh, here in America. And uh, so we're going to get to them in just a minute. Ministry Hangouts is every second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, we talk about a variety of topics uh, that relate to ministry. And uh, we're in our, about our second or third month, and uh, we're just excited that you're along with us. Uh, also, if you want to ask questions uh, as we're going along, just uh, on Twitter, uh, ask your question and put a hashtag, Ministry Hangout on it, and we will try to get to as many of those uh, as we can. I want to introduce you to Sean Wood, who is uh, kind of my sidekick on this, and uh, Sean is a church planter. Uh, in fact, uh, planted Freedom Church in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. How long ago, Sean? How, how old are you guys now? We're about 18, 19 months old now, I believe, is what it comes up to be. Wow. And uh, doing a great job. And so, uh, Sean, let me uh, let me kick it to you, and why don't you introduce uh, our guests? Yeah, uh, this is a great uh, uh, hangout for us. This is the most guests we've ever had. I think Pastor Greg at seven uh, joining us on here. So, uh, what I'm going to do that is can go be through... that can be good or bad. <laughs> yeah, well, it can't get boring. That's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to just go through, kind of tell the names instead of giving a long biography of everybody. But when we uh, get to you within a question, just tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, and you can fill us in even more. But we have got um, Mac Lake, who's right on the little bottom here, is right beside me. Uh, Mac is the uh, president of Launch and leads the Launch Network of Planning Churches. Uh, we also have uh, John J. Wilson, who is from the Church Multiplication Network, which is uh, the Assemblies of God and Planning Churches all over the world. And so really excited about having John J. Uh, Wilson on with us beside John Jay because we just wanted to make it interesting as another John so we'll make sure and call John Jay John Jay and then right beside him is John Bryson uh, from the Acts 29 network and serves on the executive board there with Pastor Matt Chandler and uh, Darren Patrick uh, with Acts 29 and then uh, Pastor Greg also you today play a role in this uh, even more than normal and that you're the president of ARC and so we're excited to have you on and sharing with us uh, as it comes to ARC. Uh, beside you is uh, your much younger and much better looking brother, Jeff Surratt, uh, who uh, leads the Exponential Conference and uh, just getting ready to come up just in a couple weeks. Uh, and he's got a lot to add value to. Also uh, part of planning many, many campuses through uh, Seacoast as well when he's on staff there. And then uh, Brent Folk is from Stadia. And uh, Stadia, a great church planning network and resource to church planners. And then to the far left of our screen is Aaron Coe, who's with the um, uh, NAM and uh, with the Southern Baptists and planning churches uh, with them. So we've got a full, full lineup of folks uh, today. Exciting uh, ministry hangout. Well, we're already into heresy when we say that Jeff is much younger, better looking, but uh, we'll, 
I'll let you guys judge that a little bit. Hey, uh, what I want to do first is let's just kind of do some of the background stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about the network you represent, how long it's been in existence, kind of who do you serve, any kind of distinctives like that about your network. And let's start with uh, John Bryson with Acts 29. And I'm glad you're with us, John. You're in Memphis, Tennessee. I am. I am. Excited to be here. Yeah, I've been involved with Acts 29 for a couple of years. I've been on the executive board for about a year. So we oversee right now roughly 430 or so church planters organizations, about a 10, 10 11-year-old organization, and we're excited about all God's doing in it. Great. All right. Um, Matt Lake, tell us a little bit about Launch. Yeah, the uh, Launch Network is uh, just a little over two years old now, and uh, sort of our distinctive, we say our customer is not church planters. Uh, our customer is the church planting church, so our system set up to come alongside an existing church to walk with them to help them uh, send their church planters out and help them plant new churches. Okay. All right. Uh, how about uh, Aaron? Uh, Co. tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Well, uh, the North American Mission Board, we're kind of the dinosaur of the group. We've been around since uh, 1845. Uh, we work with several thousand um, churches across the country. Uh, the last couple of years, though, have kind of been a just a reinvigoration of church planning for us, kind of under our Send North America strategy, which is focusing largely on 30 uh, metropolitan centers um, throughout North America. So, uh, though we've been around a long time, I think church planting has become our central focus uh, within the last couple of years. Okay. Great. And uh, John Jay, we'll, we'll talk to another big one here. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, we're not quite as old as the Southern Baptist, but uh, the Assemblies of God will be turning 100 years old next year. Uh, CMN's been in existence uh, since 2007 when our newest general superintendent really kind of reemphasized the importance of church planting in, our, in the Assemblies of God. And uh, so the Church Multiplication Network became uh, our focus and uh, our effort uh, on, in the Assemblies of God. And in that five years, we've uh, launched just uh, under 1,600 churches um, wow. under the Church Multiplication Network. So we're pretty excited ab about that. That's great. All right. And um, Jeff Surratt, you're with Exponential. Tell us a little bit about what goes on there. Yeah, Exponential has been around since 1632. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say that uh, Aaron and John Jay both look really good for as old as you guys are. Yes, um, thank you. Yeah, Exponential has been around for about seven or eight years, actually uh, came out of another uh, church planning conference uh, that was put on by Christian churches. Um, we meet in Orlando, Florida every year. We have our conference coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll have about 5,000 church planners, church plant leaders from around the world um, gather. And then we also uh, do resources for church planting. Put out uh, This year we put out about 30 ebooks for church planters. So we are the one group here that we don't actually plant churches, uh, but we try to resource uh, networks, denominations, and church planting churches. Good. And then um, uh, Brent, uh, tell us a little bit about Stadia. Yeah, Stadia is a 10-year-old organization. Uh, we've uh, started, helped start 220-some churches. We um, started out primarily serving the Christian church uh, movement, Christian churches, Churches of Christ movement. 
we uh, now tend to work with a broader audience, and we see ourselves as a servant of the church, uh, kind of similar to what Mac was saying, although we also serve church planters. In fact, our mission statement is to bring people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. So uh, we uh, we try to help, and uh, but you don't see our name on any churches. We're the servants in the background. All right. Okay. Good. And uh, then, uh, did we get everybody, Sean? I think so. Um, yeah. I, I represent ARC, uh, Association of R- Related Churches, and I guess we're about 12 years old. I started with a vision to plant 2,000 churches, and um, we're at about 330 right now, so we have a ways to go. And I think we're going to plant about 100 of them this year. And uh, just uh, a group of churches that kind of like-minded came together and said, let's, let's plant, uh, which probably is similar to really all of us uh, in, in the beginnings. Um, what, uh, what changes, what are some of the changes uh, that you've seen in church planting in the last five, maybe ten years? Um, Brent, you want to... Well, you want to say anything about that? Let, let's start there, and we'll kind of uh, jump in as you've got something. The changes that we're seeing in church planting, what are, what are some trends or, or changes that we're seeing? Well, I, I would think starting the most dramatic one to me is that everybody uh, understands the importance of an assessment process. And as far as I know, nobody is uh, sort of laying hands on a church planter unless they've been through some sort of a a specific process to determine not just his sense of call, which could be within his own spirit, but also some gifts and some temperament issues and marriage issues and financial stability and some other things. So I'd say that might be the most uh, dramatic change. Uh, Ten years ago, I still met a lot of church planters that just kind of went to plant the church and try to get people to give them money. And nowadays, everybody asks the assessment question. Yeah, we um, we call that "y'all go ahead" church planting. <laughs> 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 you pray, God gave you a call. Y'all go ahead and do that. Yeah, yeah. We're seeing probably less of that. I don't know if that's good or bad, but but we are. Anybody else? What what, what do you see? What are some changes the last ten years? Hey, Greg, one of the things we're seeing here in uh, Colorado, I've been here for a little over a year and connected with a lot of church planners, and I think this is maybe more of a, uh, Colorado is 95% unchurched, and I think it may be more of a west or northwest, northeast type thing, but the idea of sending out 20,000 flyers, setting up your signs out front at your, at your middle school and waiting for the hordes to come just isn't working here anymore. Um, we, they send out the same flyers, they have the same setup, it all looks the same, and 25 people show up. So what I'm seeing is just a rethinking of what does the launch look like, how do, we, how, do we, uh, uh, how, how do we impact the community, and I think it, it, it's a very different look than it might have been even three years ago. You want to elaborate on that at all as far as what's different? I mean, other, okay, we've got... It's not so much mass mailer, although probably several of us are still doing some of that, but especially in Colorado where people are um, perhaps a little bit more oblivious to some of that type thing. And then you have the mountains as a competition there. Um, that's 
kind of I know I grew up in Colorado and on a on a sunny day on a weekend you go to the mountains uh, on a snowy day on the weekends you go to the mountains uh, on a rainy day you stay home so pastors pray for rainy days uh, in, in Colorado uh, what, what do you say what are you guys doing to combat that or what do you see or do you are you thinking about any of that at all yeah I think the biggest thing out here and I think it's it's true for everywhere is just the fact that a one-size-fits-all launch model does not work at all. It, it worked well in the Bible Belt where I was for 28 years, but uh, what we're finding is, is two things. One is church planners who come out here need to spend at least, we want to see them spend at least a year really just trying to understand where they're planting before they even create a model. And the other thing is just massive contextualization to uh, the culture that they're, they're planning into rather than bringing a model that works in another part of the country or in another demographic really cut, massive customization. I think those are the two things I'm learning just being out here. Okay. Um, how about the North American Mission Board? Uh, Aaron, I know you may not have been in the role that you're in for 10 years, but do you guys, what, what kind of changes are you guys seeing? I think the I think the one of the massive things we're seeing change is that uh, you know church planting and church planters in particular they're they're no longer just kind of the oddball in the group but it's actually become a priority you don't just you know you know the guys used to they go plant a church they couldn't get a job anywhere else uh, now it's becoming you know it's becoming a priority for churches and uh, we're really excited about that I think also related to that is. Just seeing local churches get plugged into the church planning process. You know, the church planner is not just a lone wolf out there wanting to be entrepreneurial, but he's actually got networks of churches getting behind him. That's been a significant change in our tribe, and I think it's also something that we're seeing just across North America, just the importance of existing churches getting involved in uh, church planning. Okay. Uh, how about the Assemblies of God? What, what kind of changes are happening with you guys? Yeah. I, I'd say the thing that I'm kind of noticing uh, in a lot of our churches is, is they're becoming more missionally minded in their communities before they launch. A lot of churches are going into, a, a lot of planters are going into their, their community and just doing uh, things to get plugged into the Chamber of Commerce or just uh, the local school systems even before uh, they open their doors and are just uh, becoming actively engaged in, in uh, the cities that God's calling them to do. Um, a lot of them are, are focusing more on um, uh, just look, venues and locations that they can, can use beyond just the Sunday morning through coffee shops or, or those types of things. So I think there, there's a trend towards um, just definitely becoming more missional and, and active in their, in their communities. Okay. How about Acts 29? What, what's different for you guys? Things change, and I know the organization has changed a bit in the last year. Uh, how is that Im impacting how you guys plant churches? Yeah, it's definitely caused us to take a look at what's different now than 10 or 11 years ago, and I totally agree with Aaron. I feel like uh, the normalization of church planting has been enormous among the 20 and 30-somethings, and uh, e even 10 years ago when we planted Fellowship Memphis here, I remember my last couple years of seminary, I was one of two guys in a church planting class, and I really didn't even know anybody that planted a church, whereas now it's becoming a great option and then even a preeminent option for a lot of the young, sharp, entrepreneurial leader teachers. I, I would argue they're probably considering church planting first, mm -hmm. uh, in a, which has its pros and cons. And so how do we assess? How do we um, uh, train? How do we support? Those are kind of the questions we're asking now. Uh, but back to your point, a lot of assessment for sure. 
Okay. Yeah, I know uh, we planted Seacoast Church uh, 25 years ago this past week, and uh, mm -hmm. we, we didn't have a network, although we had a mother church that uh, uh, was tremendously generous and helpful in uh, helping us do that. And then our marketing was a very, very um, obnoxious uh, call everybody that we could in the area where we were going at dinner time and uh, tell them about our church. And now nobody has a home home phone number, you know. I mean, right. so it's it's totally changed, totally different. Mac, you want to weigh in on that? You guys are kind of one of the newer kids on the block here. Um, what yeah. what are you seeing? Yeah, um, sort of the same thing Aaron was talking about. Uh, we're seeing more and more churches calling us saying, uh, how can you help us plant a church? Uh, we understand your customer is, the, is, the, is that uh, existing church. So we're getting those types of calls, which is encouraging because Lifeway did a study in 2010 that showed 4% of U.S. churches are reproducing themselves in church planting. So you can imagine if only 4% of U.S. couples were reproducing themselves, uh, you know, this nation would be gone in a generation. So uh, it's encouraging to see more and more churches beginning to ask the question, how can we multiply? How can we get behind uh, an existing church and, and really see more churches planted? And so it, it's encouraging, and I think the North American Mission Board's been a, 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 a great influence in that as they've sort of sneezed that out among their network. Uh, I believe it's catching on among churches. That's that, you know, that's in our 4% of the churches in America are reproducing. Yeah. Um, wow. That, what, a, what a figure. Did that come from North American Mission Board? Is that what you said? Uh, Lifeway did research uh, okay. in 2010. Yeah. All right. So the question, you know, that some people would ask is, why do we need more churches? Um, and shouldn't we work more at renewing existing churches? I mean, we've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of churches and church buildings, and and obviously you've got in every city you've got some that are most that are declining, I guess, and uh, why, why do we start new ones? How would you answer that? What, uh, uh, Mac, let me just kick that to you real quick. What, why do we yeah. need new churches, and what about renewing old, uh, older churches? Yeah, I, I think it's a both-and. I think there needs to be renewal of churches, there needs to be multi-site, and there needs to be church planting. And the reason is, the, the, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, our nation is going to grow by 31 million new people by 2000, uh, by 2020. So in just a short period of time, we're going to have a net gain of 31 million new people. And then according to Viral Church's uh, book, uh, we have 3,500 churches closing their doors every year and only 4,000 starting. So it's a net gain every year of only 500 churches that, and we all know that they're probably averaging right at 100 or less, uh, for a population explosion. So uh, the need is absolutely huge. Anybody else want to weigh in on that? I just echo what Max said. I mean, along with the population growth, you just got a diversification of the population. And so, I mean, every, I mean, I live in Alpharetta, Georgia, which was a predominantly white um, area 10 years ago. But now, I mean, my neighbors are, you know, from Korea, they're from India, they're from Pakistan, they're from everywhere, uh, and I think that that is a reflection of 
um, of North America in general. So new churches reach different types of people. I think the church, we plant new churches to reach into some of those niches. I mean, I think there's always going to be a need for a regional church or a community church, but I think you're also going to be a big need for neighborhood churches that reach into specific demographics. Okay. Yeah, I would contend, uh, I would contend, Greg, that the existing churches, the declining churches, need the new churches to infuse energy and creativity and uh, just new methods of doing exactly what Aaron was saying. Because uh, existing and declining churches are not early adopters or they wouldn't be declining. So they need to see the younger churches, the newer churches, what's working, and then make their decision if they're willing to adapt and change or if they need to recycle what the what assets that God has given them. Uh, you know, the old thing, it's always easier to have a baby than it is to raise the dead. And uh, I think that uh, sometimes the young gener younger generation can do that uh, restoration and um, uh, strengthen the existing churches. Okay. I think the only thing I'd add is it's obviously the new New Testament paradigm for healthy churches to build men to plant churches. And then secondly, I think the idea of existing church versus church plant in some ways is a false dichotomy because every church at some point was a church plant. At some point it didn't exist, and then it did exist. And so I think helping even semantically on the language of, of that has been helpful in our city. Okay. You have, you have younger church plants and older church plants. Yeah, I like that. Younger church plants and older church plants. All right, let me, let me, let me jump off there a minute. And, and uh, some of the other guys, you, you can, if you've got something to share on that, you can come back to it. But um, there have been a couple of books recently that have really uh, kind of been rattling my chain. And, and uh, one of them is Center Church, Doing Balanced Gospel-Centered Ministry in Your City by Keller. Uh, and he's got a chapter in there on church planting that I've probably read six or seven times and uh, is going to influence some of my comments at our art conference uh, next week. Uh, and the other one is um, uh, The Rise of Christianity, uh, How the Jesus Movement Became the Largest Religion in the World by Rodney Stark. And um, uh, both of them, to some degree, address uh, the issue of territorialism, which... Um, they would argue, I would argue, that territorialism um, will, uh, will stop uh, any church planting movement. When it, I think it was Stark, I believe. Uh, I can't remember which one. I think it was Stark that talked about the fact that uh, in um, uh, 1776, there were less than 20% of uh, America who were uh, you know, real active in church and uh, then the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the mainline denominational churches began to plant churches with a passion. And by you know World War One, there was, let's say, fifty uh, in excess of fifty percent people who were attending church. And then uh, it started to decline. And he makes the case that the reason was a lack of church planting, and it was because we've already got a church in our city. You know, we, we don't want one in our backyard. And uh, Keller argues that, uh, you know, the whole kingdom-minded thing is tested uh, in your own zip code, you know, when somebody plants right next to you. And I would argue in your own, uh, you know, that's a nine-digit zip code 
uh, rather than a five-digit zip code. And uh, so, uh, and I know again. I'm. Uh, let me just lay the basis for this. When we started Seacoast, uh, we were, uh, you know, I was with a denomination, a very good one that's represented here. Uh, that um, that uh, you know you know was desiring to plant a lot more churches, but there was a very very small church in the community where we're at, and um, that and so it was not in my backyard. Seacoast ultimately came, became a non-denominational church, very supportive of the denomination we came out of. But a part of the reason that we couldn't be is because of territorialism. So, um, how are your networks handling territorialism. When you first start, you know, the world is your oyster. We're going to go everywhere. Yeah. But but then everybody wants to go to Nashville, you know, or everybody wants to go to Austin, or everybody wants to go, you know, wherever it happens to be. Um, how are you handling that? John, let me jump in with you, um, um, Bryson, with X29. Do you guys address that? Is that an issue, or how are you handling it? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. We uh, we definitely speak to kingdom kingdom mindedness among all our planners, but but we're not actually sending a guy to a city, and so we more respond to a guy that's already selected where he wants to plant his church, and then we use that as a leverage point of we're glad to have uh, kind of clusters of church planners in cities and in areas, and to lean into each guy for support. Uh, I was reading a study the other day. I think it was the Pew Foundation, or one of them spent eighty-five million dollars in ten years studying pastor sustainability, and their number one takeaway was kind of peer-to-peer networked cohorts. Um, and so we would probably swing that as a positive, um, and um, uh, we would encourage. We we enjoy. We've got multiple cities with multiple guys in them and encourage them to root for one another and encourage one another. What if they wanted to go two blocks away from each other? Yeah, we'd probably encourage them to – I don't think we would coach – it would be more of our regional directors coaching our guys and working through that. That probably wouldn't be a smarter move. We might question the wisdom in that. But if there was a good reason and, and maybe ministry-style difference, uh, I've, I've seen that work before. But uh, we'd probably just talk through that on a case-by-case basis. Okay. How does the Assemblies of God handle that? Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I would say territorialism still does exist, but one of the things that we try uh, to encourage our planters to do when they're, when they're going into a community is to really engage in, on the front end um, with the other pastors, other AG churches in, in the surrounding area. Um, and we had a, just a, a church in, in the Northwest who just recently did this. It was a church of... A community that had five other AG churches in it, and uh, he just went individually one by one by one and just shared, you know, shared his vision, uh, shared what he wanted to accomplish, and four of the five were were very supportive from the get-go. Uh, one wasn't, and uh, eventually, uh, just through that relationship that he fostered from the beginning, um, we've seen all five of those churches now come on board uh, and supporting them just uh more of a, hey, we're in this together. This isn't a competition. I'm not trying to take people from you, but there's still many, many lost people in our communities that need to know Jesus and, and, and made it more of a partnership to impact their community. So we're starting to see success stories like that, and we're trying to do our best to celebrate those uh, over and over uh, just in uh, and how we're communicating in our, in our training events and our, in our blogs or, or just, just, just taking time to say, you know, if you're going into a place where there are other existing churches, engage them on the front end and and, and make them partners from the get-go. 
Could those existing churches have a veto power or not? Uh, technically, um, technically, no. <laughs> and and there's a couple of things that they can uh, they can do, but there's there certainly are are, uh, are places where where planners have been told no. But the the reality is 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 there's ways to make it happen. So I think that's uh, we're still working on it. But it helps that. Uh, from the top of our organization, uh, Dr. Wood is constantly um, just talking about the importance of planting and opening more churches, and and that certainly makes it uh, makes all the difference for us. Okay. One one of the things, if I can jump in, one of the things we're trying to do is just change the conversation around the fact that there are churches in communities. So there's not a place in North America you can't go where there aren't churches. But the real question is, is is the community churched? And the way we would articulate that is. Ideally, you'd love to see one church for every thousand or two thousand people in the population. Well, there's there's hardly anywhere that we're hitting that. Maybe with the exception of Mississippi and Alabama. And so, what we're saying to our folks is, listen, we've got to plant churches at the rate the population is growing. And there are just going to be some places where we need multiple churches um, to to reach to reach that area. And though there are some that aren't real comfortable with that, we just got to change the conversation. To, to where we do we have this significant number of churches in this particular area and that's really where we're trying to drive the conversation in our group hmm. good anybody else hey yeah, Greg this is Brett um, one of the most practical ideas I've heard comes from Burt Crab out on Long Island which Long Island you know being a peninsula like it is and kind of self-contained I was blown away he did this six years ago I'm not sure if he still does it but he advertises every other new church on the front page of his website. So there's a window that just keeps cycling through all the new churches on Long Island. Hmm. And um, I thought, man, that is uh, like the ultimate. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. In fact, I was his coach, and I asked him if he was smart. But uh, I, I think it's a real practical illustration of what you're talking about. And, and it's, it's not slowed Burt down at all in building a great church. And maybe it's helped some of the other guys, but it certainly sent a good message. That's great. Hey, hey, Greg, I just want to say one thing real quick. One of the things I think that's encouraging, and, and I think we could push more, is uh, not just talking within our own tribe about what, where we're planting and, and not planting on top of each other, but when tribes start talking to each other. I had a conversation with a church planner yesterday from one of, your tri one of the tribes represented here on this call, and I said, well, why would you choose the city you went into? And he said, well, our tribe didn't have a church plant in that city. And that's good, except he planted within two miles of two other church plants that, plant, that launched the same within a month of when he planted. And so I think an encouraging piece that I think we could do more of is not just from a national level, but from a local level. How can the tribes be getting together, uh, mapping out where the church plants are, mapping out where the church plants aren't, and can we be more intentional about going after places where we're not, we don't have uh, an overabundance of new church plants? It's hmm. good. You know, I know uh, when I said earlier that ARC uh, has planted 330 churches, um, honestly, uh, launch can uh, include some of those numbers in their numbers, and Assemblies of God can include quite a few of them in their numbers, and the Southern Baptists, uh, can include some in their numbers. I'm not sure if Stadia can yet, but uh, uh, Acts 29, uh, I'm not sure either, uh, but I know that there's a lot of double and triple dipping 
<laughs> among the church planters, which I don't think is a bad thing. Uh, you know, uh, and, and sometimes it's intentional that we do it together. Yeah, um, yeah. which is not a bad thing at all. Um, yeah, I'll what take a few uh, questions from Twitter right now, okay. if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, one question that came that said, uh, when you're talking to the to the leader as an organization, you're you're assessing them and you're you're kind of getting their DNA, and they have a community they want to go in. Is there any is there any need to help strip away some of the DNA of the leader because of the community they want to go into? How much do you play into as a network of really coaching a guy if this is the right place for them, or is it? For like John Bryson mentioned for Acts 29, if it's already decided and now you're coaching them forward. So someone's asking about the kind of the, the marriage of the community and the DNA of the leader and what a network plays in that that spot. I would say uh, it also has to do with the DNA of the leading couple because uh, had several church planners I can think of that wanted to go to one particular city, but the spouse wasn't on board with that. And uh, so I really think the DNA of the couple and a family uh, plays into that as well. There's some families that are ready to go to the urban context. Uh, one spouse or the other is, and the other one is not. Uh, and so I really think that's an important factor that has to be put in there as well. I think, I think it's critical that you match up DNA of leaders with communities. Anybody else want to hit the DNA question? Yeah, I think for me personally, when I'm coaching guys and assessing guys, and maybe I'll speak from my fellowship associates background where we, we do help guys assess what city they go to when we're training them in our residency program is, that, I, I, let me state the obvious, there's always exceptions. We've got a South African in Jackson, Tennessee who's killing it. Um, but I, it, for me personally, I think a guy's story does play in that. I think uh, there, there would have to be a really good reason uh, for him to get – extremely cross-cultural. Uh, I personally am a fan of it making sense and fitting his story that that part of the world uh, makes a whole lot of sense given who he is and his story. Okay, that's good. That's good. Anybody else? Greg, at launch, uh, through the training process, this is Mac, um, it, at, uh, through our training process, we teach the, the church unique uh, process where the guys have to look at their uh, apostolic esprit, which is who's God made them up to be? What is their passion? What are their gifts? What is the local predicament? What is the particular specific challenges, problems in that particular community? And then what is their collective potential? Uh, and that's the things that they're surrounded with. So by looking at those three circles, it overlaps uh, to show them uh, how they fit and what God's plan is, or unique plan is for that particular community. So that's sort of how we address that particular issue. Okay. Hey, share, share those three circles again. I want to rip that off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, what is your apostolic esprit? That's esprit. How do you spell esprit? S-P-R-I-S-P-I-R-I-T. This is Will Mancini and the book Church Unique. So it's not, my, it's not original to me but we teach it in our training process. Uh, local predicament is number two. What are the specific problems of, that, of the context of that community and how do those particular problems line up with your apostolic esprit? And then the third circle is your collective potential. That's the people that God's put around you, the resources God's put around you. When you overlap all three of those, you identify 
identify what he calls your kingdom concept. And that helps you identify the unique fingerprint of God's, God's uh, plan for your church rather than Xerox copying, you know, someone else's uh, seven-step strategy or four steps or whatever. Uh, we really try to drive the guys to look at those three things to, to identify the uniqueness of their church and how they fit that community. So, Matt, can you give us the name of that book again? Yeah, it's Church Unique. Church Unique. Uh-huh. Well, I knew that wasn't unique to you because we don't talk like that. We don't talk like that in South Carolina, Matt. And, and I'm uh, not that smart. And, uh, <laughs> no, I, you're, you're plenty smart. I just know you're a South Carolina boy. So. That's and right. Just so everybody will know, uh, we are tweeting out, if you're watching online, uh, any of the books that are mentioned, we'll be tweeting out the, uh, the title and how you can pick them up on Amazon.com on hashtag Ministry Hangout, so you can get that information there. Great. Awesome. Um, where were we at? Anybody else? Want, somebody else was going to say something about that. Who was, who was ready? Hey. I, was, I was just going to say one thing real quick. When we were talking to guys about where, where they're wanting to go, as they're thinking about a city. I mean, there's a couple of questions I ask. I mean, one is I ask them, you know, where's the most strategic place possible you could go plant a church? Because, um, and, and we want to help guys think that through. But then we also have a quick follow-up with where can your family thrive? Because maybe just because Boston may be a highly strategic place doesn't mean everybody needs to plant in Boston. So we really come in and emphasize the fact that your family needs to be able to thrive in that place, which kind of goes along with what some of these other guys are talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, if your wife's not happy, if your kids aren't happy, you're ultimately not going to be happy and the church is not going to be very good. So uh, those are the two lenses we try to look through. That's good. Did I hear somebody else? I also think part of part of addressing that question, and we've seen planners that have gone into communities that it may not seem like they would they would fit on the surface, but they've spent a significant amount of time, even sometimes as much as two years, just living in that community and getting to know it at, before they've launched. And so I think some of that DNA question could be addressed by just the length of time before someone would actually launch if they feel called to a city that they're you know they're parachuting in. Um, I think the, the length of time that they live there and get to know the people and, and the surroundings, I think that definitely helps their success. So I, I was asked the other day, uh, wh what is an ideal length of time that somebody be in a city before they plant a church? Uh, you have anything to that, John? Yeah, I, I think we uh, typically would say, especially in those situations where they're, you know, if they live in on the West Coast and want to plan on the East Coast or, or however that would work, at least a year. Um, just to kind of get to know, uh, get to know the community and the people, and to build a solid team. Because you know, if they're they're going into a place where they don't have uh, a support system around them, a launch team, um, it's it's going to take time for them to get to know those uh, people and build those relationships. So, I we, we I think we tend to say about a year at at a minimum if you're going into a community that you're not familiar with. How do you support yourself for a year? A lot of them get jobs, secular Starbucks. jobs. Yeah, I'm, totally. Yeah, a lot of them do some some raise uh, like mission support, um, but that typically they find a way. Okay. Anybody else that how, how long? What, what do you guys suggest to Acts twenty nine or do you? Yeah, I always think about the three big rocks of um, facilities, money, and leadership, and um, and so that leadership being that launch team, that core team, and and uh, once those three are in place. 
you know, kind of tying the two questions together, if you're definitely new to an area, we would encourage a longer runway, uh, more cultural assessment of that city if you're not from there or hadn't lived there in a while. Um, but I would raise the money to support that. I mean, I think uh, that kind of that awareness preceding uh, mm -hmm. even vision and strategy, that awareness piece is uh, is crucial. And uh, so I would, uh, I most church plants are severely underfunded and severely underfunded in the early years. And so uh, I do everything I can to make sure the guys are raising as much money as possible to buy as much time as possible uh, to plant at the right time. So let's talk about funding for just a minute. Um, we probably all have different models of funding. Why, why don't we talk for a second about what that model looks like? And I'll, I'll start with ARC. Uh, basically, um, we're in a similar situation, Acts 29, as far as get your launch team together. You know, and that's going to take a while. Um, uh, you're you're going to need more than, you know, two months or, or a, a, just a drop-in. Or, or man, if you could have a year, that would be great. Uh, but uh, we want you to create a launch team of at least 40 people, and uh, then we want you to raise at least $40,000. And then um, uh, when we see that, then we'll match funds. That's kind of how uh, ARC works. Uh, tell me um, how some of the other networks, how, how do you uh, handle the financial piece? How does Acts 29, what, what, uh, what involvement does Acts 29 have in the financial piece? Our involvement from Acts 29 would simply be coaching, and then uh, every one of our Acts 29 churches are committed to spending, investing 10% of their operating fund into church planting. So our existing churches tend to be a primary place that our uh, planters go. But because we're a network, to your earlier point a couple questions ago, I mean, all of our guys are like NASCAR know drivers or bass pro bass fishermen they got stickers all over them with triple and quadruple aligned alliances so uh, they, they fish in a lot of different ponds uh, but we try to train them well and encourage them well I, I've never met a church planner that uh, uh, regretted planting um, you know too late it's always been the other problem of planting exactly too so uh, we encourage take your time raise the right money right raise the right people um, and then and then go public okay how does the how does the Southern Baptist handle the money part of it? We've uh, we just had a shift kind of in our philosophy over the last several months. I mean, we've been traditionally in a uh, kind of a one size fits all descending model of funding where a guy gets a certain amount for year one, year two, year three, and then we're typically out. We're moving away from that. We're moving more to a contextualized uh, approach uh, where we would take each planter based on who he is, his capacity in the context of where he's going to plant. Those are the words, capacity in context, and then do appropriate funding. And so what it basically looks like for us is not everybody's going to be funded the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and we want to fund guys that are definitely going to be full-time planters. Uh, we want to fund them in a full-time way. But then there's also guys who we just know either their capacity or their context is going to mean that they're going to be bivocational. Well, we need to fund them appropriately. We don't ever need right. to fund them as full-time guys if their long-term trajectory is part-time uh, or bivocational. So uh, we've got a tool that we've developed that just basically helps look at those things. Uh, and then our, our catalyst, church planning catalyst, will sit down with each planter individually and come up with a funding plan that's most appropriate. The other thing we've done is we've We've, we've desired to extend the runway if we need to. We realize a guy planting in Boston might need five to six years to get the plane off the ground. There's a guy in uh, Atlanta may just need three years, and so we want to look at those things as well. Okay. How about Stadia? 
Well, uh, same as uh, everybody else in terms of contextualization and uh, adjusting it. But we we cast vision with a two hundred and forty thousand dollar total uh, network startup, and uh, that would involve Stadia investing about sixty thousand. It would involve other churches then coming up with about one hundred and eighty thousand. When we hire a planter, we want to hand him a network that's formed like that, and then he has to also raise some money. So we, we try to add up all the beans, which, uh, in, in, with all respect to everybody else, you know your planters are raising a lot more money than what you're giving them. We mm -hmm. know that as well, but we try to, we try to kind of combine that and make the network uh, responsible for making sure that we're not starving guys out that are planting churches. Now, having said that, we also are developing a track for guys that want to be missional, and in keeping with what Aaron was saying, if they don't ever have a vision for being fully supported by their church, then we're not going to support them up front, obviously. Um, but maybe there's some context where there's an urban situation. Long term, they really are more like missionaries in a cross-cultural sense. So it's tailored per project, but we tend to do a lot more upfront funding, it sounds like, than the other models we've heard from. Right. Mac, you guys have kind of moved to a different uh, model fairly recently. T tell us where you guys are on funding. Yeah, we, we were doing the traditional, you know, give collect money from partners and, and give it to the planters. And then um, as we begin to talk about it, there were, there were a couple issues. Uh, number one, we said uh, what you've already identified guys are dating three or four networks and you know now they're owed, they owe everybody two percent or four percent or whatever and then uh, the other factor we looked at was if our customer is the actually the existing church then why are we telling them to give us money and then we determine where it goes so we said we want to serve uh, serve the existing church and allow them to put their dollars where they want so we created uh, we created a Compassion International model of funding. So the guys who pass assessment and then they have to hit certain targets in their training, they can then submit uh, a bunch of information, a vision, a vision video, perspectives, all this stuff, and we put it on a funding website and uh, where individuals, businesses, and our partner churches can go there and they can select who they want to fund, how much they want to fund, and, and that sort of model. So it's sort of a Compassion International model for church planters. Okay. Great. I, uh, I understand Jeff Surratt is je jealous of my microphone. Um, <laughs> hey, I just want to say I'm glad you brought that up. I don't want to cause any problems, but several of the guys on this panel have been twittering and not listening, and I just want you to know that. <laughs> yeah, I've Jeff noticed Surratt that. is a Twitter bully. And I'm, I'm the victim of it. Yeah, I, I can see that too. Um, Sean, uh, amidst all of the uh, Twitter bullying and, and, and what have you, are there any legitimate questions that, um, that we can pick up from Twitter right now? There are, there are some. I have a question, actually, that I wanted to ask um, if I could. Um, we talked about assessment, and everybody kind of talked about the assessment uh, process. But then, Greg, you mentioned something. You said the, the you said I don't know if that's a good idea or not about the you go ahead uh, type of model. And I thought back to how I planned it. Is I basically I had a ten year assessment underneath you and Jeff and other, and Mac and others who uh, basically got ten years to decide whether I was any good or not. 
and uh, that was kind of my assessment in the church planning. Uh, what what do you guys? How do you how do you weigh the value of a planting church that's going? Yes, we are behind this 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 person, and just an overall walk in assessment type of person. And man, they may score high, but there's nobody behind them. How do you weigh that? And then I guess a tag along to that question that I think I saw something on Twitter similar to this is. What, what are you mostly turning guys down for? Like when you're assessing them, what is the key? Like, no, we're not, we're not going to get behind that in those assessments. That's kind of a twofold question, I guess. Who will be first? <laughs> Sean, this is, uh, this is Mac um, at launch. I, I'm not popping up on the screen. I'm not sure why. Maybe I'm not loud enough. But uh, you're, you're there, actually, Mac. You just don't see yourself for some reason. Oh, oh okay. So I better stop picking my nose then. <laughs> yeah, there's right. a little cliffhanger there you need to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, uh, the, way, the way we view our assessment, and, and the reason I believe it's valuable for any church planter, no matter how experienced they are in ministry, um, when when a guy comes to our assessment, we're actually serving what we call his parent church. Um, we, we use the word parent church rather than sending church because we want them to walk alongside the church planter as a, as a parent. So when they come to the assessment, uh, we, we're really more of a leadership development network. And, and so when they come to the assessment, we're assessing their leadership, we're assessing their marriage, their emotional, spiritual health. All the same things everybody else assesses, but um, the end result is while they're there, we help them build a personal growth plan. At the end of the assessment, uh, we get their parent church pastor, the planter, and his wife on a video conference call. And what we do is we share the results with their, their parent church pastor, and we look at that pastor and say, now, here's what we discovered about this guy. And here's how you can continue to walk with him and develop him. Here's his personal growth plan. And, uh, you know, whether he passes or whether he fails, he gets that personal growth plan. So this is how you can continue to nurture his uh, personal development. Uh, to answer the second half of your question, we're, we're seeing guys not pass. We only pass 53%. And uh, of the 47% that don't pass, it's marriage issues. It's uh, some emotional maturity issues. It's uh, a lack of self-awareness many times. Uh, or a big one is they've not made their way up the leadership pipeline far enough in their past experience to where they, they don't need to be jumping levels in the leadership pipeline to where all of a sudden they're leading the organization when they've never even led leaders. So those are some of the things we have to deal with. Anybody else? I'd say for the assemblies of God, I'd say that what Max said pretty much mirrors the the things that would uh, would raise flags for us in that process. Um, you know, the way we're structured, uh, we we work through districts and district assessors, and and that net, network uh, is 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 pretty large. So um, I'm not directly involved in that too much, but the things I hear would be that one of the questions we always ask in our boot camp training is, can you imagine yourself doing anything else? Uh, other than planting, and, and if, if they say yes, and we say, well, go do that, because uh, <laughs> probably, it's probably going to be a very difficult uh, thing for you as a, as a church planner uh, if, you can, if, you can't, uh, if you can imagine yourself you know, doing anything other than, than planting. Um, I think the other thing for us, uh, in our, when 
this kind of touches on our, our funding process a little bit. Ours is very similar to, to ARC's in that we do a $30,000 matching uh, matching fund. Uh, but then in that process, the planter is required to have a partner church that, that is walking alongside of them. In some cases, uh, there's, there's a parent church involved as well. So we try to, as, as much as we can, surround them. Uh, surround those leaders with a with a network of people um, that are personally invested. So the CMN team uh, is included in that. The the district church planning directors, the assessor, uh, the parent church, the partner church, all of those things. And and once we feel like they have uh, that network around them, I think that's where um, where we see a, a higher success rate and longevity in the in the process. You know, if at all possible, uh, I would love to see church planters. Uh, do an internship with a life-giving church, a church of a similar DNA uh, that they're uh, looking at doing. T- to me, that's that is uh, that's just excellent. That's kind of what you were talking about, Sean, in that you were here at Seacoast for a number of years, and uh, we're just we're launching another one, another Sean. Uh, actually, his name's not Sean, but we're launching one uh, and announcing it this weekend uh, from our staff. And, um, you know, he's going to go through the assessments and all of that. But we know who he is, and we know what he is, and we're willing to stand behind it. And, and I think it's going to be a, you know, a, a, we're sending a big team with him too. And uh, it makes it stronger if you can partner with uh, the mother church, the sending church, the parent church, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a strong, strong model. You know, there's so much more. There, there's a bunch more questions that I want to ask, but I'm committed to doing this in an hour. Uh, maybe we'll do this with you guys again at some point. But I want to go next to the it segment uh, of our of our program, and uh, that's where we just kind of go through and and ask you what have you read or written or seen lately that you can't stop thinking about. And uh, so, what have you read, written, or seen that you can't stop thinking about? And this is a wonderful time for shameless self promotion, <laughs> and we encourage it. We encourage it. If you've written it, if you've got a conference, whatever, uh, let's do it. So let's let's go uh, quickly and uh, let's uh, start with Aaron. Anything uh, you want to put in the it segment? Well, I think you've already mentioned uh, it's uh, Keller's book, Center Church, and just anything related to you know the urbanization that we're experiencing uh, in the world in North America. I mean, the urban population has gone from less than fifty percent five years ago to now over fifty percent. It's just a reality that we're going to be dealing with as leaders in the church and the next generations, and so uh, and so that's just something I can't stop thinking about. So I think any of Keller's stuff, uh, James Montgomery Boyce wrote a lot back 20 years ago. So is Harvey Kahn, other guys. And so those are kind of the things that we're thinking about here, and how can we lead well in the urban age? All right, Brett. Uh, the Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. If you have a team, if you're on a team, if you lead a team, if you're planting churches with teams, everybody should study that book. Good. Jeff? Um, a couple of free things real quick. And the self, Sorry, about, but I'm going to go with the self-promotion piece. One is <laughs> I mentioned Exponential is coming up in a couple of weeks. It's sold out, been sold out for a while. Love to have church planners and leaders around the world join us. Uh, it's free online. We're doing all of the main sessions with Franchi and Craig Rochelle, all the all the guys like that. So if you go to exponential.org, you can uh, sign up to be a part of that free webcast. The other thing is uh, I wrote a little ebook called Measuring the Orchard. It's free also. 
but it kind of goes over some concepts of why churches should multiply, how they can multiply, what multiplication looks like at whatever stage your church is at. So love to make that available to you. It's also available at exponential.org. Give us the name of that again, Jeff. It's called Measuring the Orchard. Measuring the Orchard. Excellent. And it is very good. Um, let's see. Next would be uh, uh, John uh, Bryson. Yeah, probably double exclamation point. Lincioni is the advantage. I think that's huge on just culture and organizational culture. A couple TED Talks I watched recently, I just can't shake. Uh, Bryn Brown's uh, The Power of Vulnerability. And then uh, uh, Pilates, Everything We Think About Nonprofit World is Wrong. Uh, both those, have, as TED Talks tend to do, just come at you from a different angle and stir things up. Uh, we're building out a series on manhood called 33 The Series. Uh, you can check it out at AuthenticManhood.com. But trying to get on the front end of building men that uh, hopefully many of them ultimately one day uh, plant churches, uh, but trying to help solve the uh, get on the solution side of the manhood problem. So you can check out 33 The Series at AuthenticManhood.com. And let me just say before we go on, there's so many good resources that are kind of being uh, thrown out there right now. And if you can't get them all at one time, like I said, uh, hashtag ministry hangout. We're trying to get some of those uh, out right now. Uh, but also this hangout will be posted uh, that you can refer to later uh, at ministryhangouts.com. Uh, and so uh, you can watch this again or have your team watch it if you'd like to take some more time with it. Uh, John Jay, what, uh, yeah. what's, what's the it for you? Man, just a couple of quick things. Uh, as far as a book, uh, I'd recommend that we're, we're trying to get our planners to read is a, a new book by Trinity Jordan uh, called Jesus Never Said to Plant Churches and 12 Other Things That No One Ever Told Me About Church Planning. Uh, it's a great book about Trinity's, uh, his church planning experience, and, and it's, it's humorous just about his journey. But one of the things that I'm really encouraged about, uh, and I can't, can't stop thinking about, is is over this last academic year, we've been on eight of our Assemblies of God colleges and universities with an event called START. And basically the point of that is we're just trying to, to integrate our, or just infiltrate our campuses with the message of church planting and not just looking for lead planters, but, but talking about how uh, whatever God's called you to be, whether to be a business leader or a graphic designer, uh, to be engaged in the church planning community for life. And we've been in front of over 10,000 college students this year just sharing that message. And over 1,300 have like committed to us to say they want to keep in contact and, and learn more about how they can be involved in church planning uh, while they're college students and beyond. But one school in particular in, in Boston, uh, one of our smaller schools, had 37 students commit actually to be lead planters in the future. Wow. Uh, and that's about 10% of that entire student body. So we're excited wow. about what God's doing in, in, uh, in our colleges and universities. That is great. You guys are, you guys are knocking it over the fence. I'll tell you, that's some good stuff. Yeah. Mac Lake, what's the it for you? Best book you've read other than the um, uh, Leadership Pipeline. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great one. No, um, I, I was yeah. going to talk about a multi-site book that one of the other guys has written on the panel. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say The Orchard, but uh, since that one's already taken, um, no, for me, Greg, you know my passion is leadership development, yep. and the way I look at Launch, uh, I consider Launch to be more of a leadership development network than a church planting network, and uh, we we do our train. we're starting training 
training centers across the country. And so uh, one of my favorite things that I get to do as part of my job is I train the trainers. And so we have nine, um, uh, nine church plant trainers that I have the opportunity to pour into regularly and a book that I absolutely love. I'm reading it and just diving deep into it is called practice perfect by Doug Lamov. And he just gives great principles for how to train people. And, uh, you know, the thing that, uh, that, you know, I want to see in church plant world is let's move beyond dispensing information to really producing transformation. And, and the way that happens for these guys is you, you get them to practice the things, get them to practice the leadership skills that are necessary for them to really ingrain in their habits to, to be able to lead well and lead strong for the long haul. So Doug Lamov does a great job giving 42 rules for uh, transformational type of training. Excellent. Excellent. Sean, talk to us about what's next. Well, what we've got next, I guess even what's on my mind is Monday, um, I leave with a group of 11 uh, leaders from Freedom Church to join about 3,500 uh, leaders for the ARC All Access Conference, which is uh, coming up April 15th through the 18th. And I just saw on Twitter, I think there's like 30 spots left for All Access. So if you're it watching will sell this, out, it will sell out yeah. today. Today it will sell out. So if you're, you're wanting to be there, then this you, you need to go right now and get that. Uh, and then also we've got coming up on uh, April 24th, uh, probably the uh, most asked for so far ministry hangout topic, which we're going to be looking at um, preaching and preparing sermons and just kind of how do you do that. And right now we've got on the call, of course, Pastor Greg. Uh, we also have um, Nelson Searcy, who's going to be on that hangout. Uh, Joe Champion is going to be on that hangout. And then Glenn Lucky from the docent group is going uh, to be on that hangout as well. And then we've asked uh, some others that may be joining us, but we'll find out. So that's going to be a very good one. And then May 15th, uh, the next one will be working with an assistant. And so we're just going to talk, what does it look like to work with an assistant? What are some tips that you have for working with assistants? And we'll actually have um, some of the assistants of some of the top leaders in the country on that call talking about what it's like to uh, do their job and to work with, with leaders. So that's the two upcoming ministry hangouts. Again, we have all of the archives at ministryhangout.com. You can catch those, including this one. Uh, just moments after this is done will be available on ministryhangouts.com, and the previous ones uh, that we've done are all archived there as well. All right. Well, thank you, um, panel. This has been great. Uh, feels like it's too short. That's always good. Um, but uh, I really appreciate you guys being on. And uh, as we go... I just want would love for all of us uh, to remember those that are watching and those on the panel, uh, probably the guy that's uh, influenced me in church planting more than anybody, and that's Rick Warren. And uh, just uh, pray for him and his family and the tragedy that they've gone through uh, this week. And, uh, you know, um, I, I really appreciate those that have gone before us. And uh, what we're doing is just basically a variation on a theme. And, uh, uh, you know, there are some basic principles, and he, he kind of um, um, elaborates on them about as well as anybody. But we love you, Rick, and we love what you're doing. But anyway, God bless everybody, and we will do this again in about two weeks. All right.